Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 23, recorded Sunday, January 12th, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thanks for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerapino. Here we are. It's a new decade, 2020. Wow. Seems not that long ago we were talking about Y2K. Remember that? Well, now that's 20 years ago. A lot has changed, and still a lot of change is on the horizon. We're ready. Are you? Speaking of change... Yesterday, we smashed a record high temperature for January 11th here in the Hartford area. The local newspaper said we topped out at 68 degrees Fahrenheit. We had the garage door open at the shop yesterday all day. What a beautiful day. While that was fantastic, I can only think about what is going on globally and the impacts if we don't all admit and address the very real thing called climate change. So let's get ready for the first segment of Scuba Shack Radio in 2020. If you live in a part of the country or the world where it gets cold in the winter months, you might not think that you could still learn to scuba dive or have options to get your actual scuba diving certification. But you can by doing something called a referral. And for us, that's a PADI referral. That's the beauty of a training organization like PADI with its worldwide standards for consistency and quality. And I'm passing along this information today because you may already be a scuba diver and know someone who's interested in learning to scuba dive this winter. Or you may be someone who's always been interested in scuba diving, but feel like it's too early in the year to start to learn. But you can. As a New England dive shop, we can only reasonably offer open water certification dives up here between late May through October. While we've pushed it into November in the past, it often, weather, the weather gets very iffy and we're chancing it. While we can push our own diving because of our dry suits, it's a little bit challenging for our students who are in 7mm wetsuits doing their first open water dives. So we often talk to our customers who are interested in diving in the winter about training with us for their confined water dives up here in New England and then going someplace a whole lot warmer for their four open water dives. Many times, our customers have already planned a trip someplace warm to get away from the New England winter, so they are able to now add on a scuba certification when they get down to their destination. Now, there's a little bit of planning that needs to go into this, so we want to help all of our students with that planning. 
First, we'll talk to our future divers about where they're planning to go and if they have any thoughts on who they're planning to dive with. Sometimes people have already done their research and made contact, sometimes not. Many times, we've already had some experience with that place, know the dive shop, or can make some suggestions. Now, one of the things that we did down at DEMA is we reached out to a number of dive shops in these warm water areas so that we could make contact as a New England dive shop, knowing that some of our divers would eventually make it there. An example of this was one of our divers, a couple of our divers who trained with us were going to Hawaii for their certification dives. Well, we had made contact with that dive shop at DEMA, and as would have it, there was a little bit of a, a challenge with some of the paperwork when they got there, but we were very quickly able to resolve that issue, and our divers got their certification. Now, we also like to make sure that we make the contact so we can relay onto the divers just what to expect when they get there. The cost, the gear rental aspects, whether they're going to need a pool evaluation, all the things so that they don't have any surprises, and we have a good contact point for us up here in New England. Now, once our divers completed their confined water, we want to make sure that they have all the right paperwork in order, that there's copies of the medical statements, the logbook is filled out, we make a copy of the back of the student folder, and we give them paper copies of all that. And also, we have electronic copies of that that can quickly be emailed around. So all the paperwork needs to be in order. Now, another option that we offer for our divers is to come with us on a dive trip because sometimes we have trips in the middle of winter and they can come on that trip and do their certification dives. And a couple of examples of this is we have one of our divers heading to Belize with us in February to do his open water certification dives. And then also we have a trip to Key Largo in uh, the April timeframe and we already have a couple of our divers heading down there for us, uh, with us to get their certification in the warm, sunny waters off of Key Largo. So just because it's winter doesn't mean you can't learn to scuba dive. You should check out your local shop, or if you're here in New England, give us a call and we can help you out. Open water diving in the winter and learning to dive is not off the table. Think about doing something like a patty referral. In an earlier episode, I talked about the IUNC, or the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and its red list of endangered species. And then in September, I did a segment on how noise pollution is impacting one of those endangered species of whales. Now, I've been reading the book Leviathan by Eric J. Dolan, and it's the story of American whaling. So I thought I'd do a little bit of discussion, a little bit deeper discussion on one of the most endangered whales, and not just the whale, but one of the most endangered species on the planet. And that's the North Atlantic right whale. Now, the North Atlantic right whale has been on the endangered species list since 1970. It was hunted almost to extinction by the whalers in the early 19 or 1890s. And why were they hunted so prolifically? Well, it was because they were the right whale to hunt. They were close to the coast. They swam slowly. 
Uh, a lot of the times they floated at the surface, and when they were killed, they floated. Well, we would think that without whaling, they would recover. But sadly, no. They're still facing dangers. One of the things is that they've had a very low uh, uh, growth rate in recent years. The numbers are going in the wrong direction. There's estimated to be only 400 to 450 of these animals left. Since 2017, there have been only 12 recorded births. At the same period of time, they believe that 30 whales have died. You can do the easy math. That's minus 18. If you put that in a percentage against the 450, it's a 4% decrease in population in just two years. Now, the region is from New England and the Mid-Atlantic to the southeast. The North Atlantic right whale grows up to 52 feet in length, and it weighs about 70 tons. And they have a lifespan of about 70 years. They're filter feeders. They feed on zooplankton and copepods, and they filter it through their baleen, and they can feed anywhere in the water column. It's estimated that they consume between 2,200 to 5,500 pounds of food every day. These whales are endangered from three fronts. The th key things are entanglement and ghost fishing net, vessel strikes is a big problem, and ocean noise, as I relayed on in an earlier episode. Now, you can go out and find a lot more information about the North Atlantic right whales, a couple of websites at fisheries.noaa.gov or at us.whales.org. On us.whales.org, there's also an opportunity to adopt a whale. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading uh, online from a paper down in uh, Florida that they had spotted a North Atlantic right whale and calf off the coast of Georgia, I think. And it was a very encouraging news. But sadly, yesterday, I saw an article from the Boston Globe on January 9th that said uh, a newborn North Atlantic right whale suffered injuries. Now, it was thought to be the fourth live birth this season, but it was injured most likely by a boat propeller. Hopefully, with awareness and education, we can make progress on all three fronts of entanglement, vessel strikes, and ocean noise and help the North Atlantic right whale survive. time for another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. And this time I'm going to take you to season three to an episode called Pirate Gold. And it was the 14th episode of that year and the 92nd over ep overall episode of Sea Hunt in the series. And it aired on the 9th of April, 1960. And on this episode, Mike is now in the Bahamas and he's down there working for a construction company who are using high explosives to clear a path for a new marina. 
And Mike's job is to inspect after the explosions happen and to clear away any debris with an underwater vacuum to make sure things are stable. But the story is all about two boys who are out scuba diving in search of pirate gold. So the scene shifts to the kids being on the, on the beach getting ready for their second dive, uh, talking about going down there when one of the kids, Joey Turner, finds a piece of the dynamite that the uh, construction company is using. So kids being kids, they set the timer to make sure it's real, and then they take it with them underwater. Well, all of a sudden, we see an explosion. What happened? Next thing we know, we see Mike going to someplace called the Nassau Beach Lodge to have lunch with a date. Well, while they're there getting ready to have lunch, someone comes in and says, we need you, Mike, it's serious. We have a, a kid trapped underwater, and his friend, Kelly Bailey, and Kelly Bailey is actually Jeff Bridges. Yeah, the dude who is uh, Lloyd's son, who says his friend got stuck underwater. So they race through town to get to the dock and take Mike's boat, the Argonaut, out. They're out underwater television camera with amazing clarity is searching underwater, and they can't find anything. Well, Kelly finally fesses up and says that they were in the A zone or the blasting area. So they head over to that site. They can't see any bubbles. Mike jumps in with a forward roll with doubles from the, from the deck of the Argonaut, and he's doing his searching underwater, and time's running out. The scene shifts to Joey being stuck, and he can't reach the dynamite to turn it off. Well, while Mike's searching, we see a great French angelfish, and as Mike's looking at the angelfish, he says it guides him to the bubbles. Well, Mike can't get his head in, but he sees Joey, and the rocks aren't moving, and he sees that the dynamite and the timer is, is, is running out. So he taps uh, a signal to Joey to make sure he knows he's there. He races to the surface, um, uses a boat hook, but he can't reach the dynamite with the boat hook. So he's doing all kinds of contortions to get the dynamite. Finally, he goes back to the surface and gets his underwater vacuum, and he gives Joey the signal okay. You hear the dynamite tick-tock, tick-tock. He swims back and forth trying to get the, uh, the dynamite. Finally, he's able to suck it up with his vacuum and turn it off. But now there's another problem. Joey's running out of air, and he can't get to Joey because the rocks are too, uh, too heavy. So back to the surface again, and he comes down with a line and a boat hook, and as luck would have it, they finally get the rocks from the, the cave uh, open. Mike swims in with a spare tank and switches it over to Joey. Mike again saves the day. But it's not over yet. The next scene is on the dock with Mike giving the boys a stern lecture on scuba diving and how great a sport it is, but how dangerous it can be. And some of those dangers are like playing with dynamite. Finally, Mike tells them, don't go skin diving again without an adult. Well, as the boys are walking off, Joey's mom gives him a little 
tap on the bottom. Claire gives Mike a kiss for saving the day, and Mike says, hmm, I'm hungry. Sounds like they never got their lunch. Well, as we're closing out Sea Hunt uh, episode 14 from season three, Mike talks about three-fifths of the world being covered with water and how little we know about it and how skin diving can make us learn about the ocean. Well, that's episode 23 and the first of 2020 and the first of the new decade. Thanks again for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. We very much appreciate it. Also, very much appreciate it if you give us a rating out there on your favorite podcast application. Finally, please check out the Scuba Shack Radio Facebook page where I will provide some more information, do a few polls, and keep the discussion going. Really excited about 2020 and hope that you continue to listen. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.